T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Okay, it's Grant here. Today, uh, you'll need your seatbelts on. Uh, this is one of the more dramatic interviews I've ever released. Uh, this is a first. Uh, this interview has never been played before. I'll give you some background on it. Um, I'm indebted to Stacy Wright from the MUFON Phoenix Group, who basically set up with, uh, set me up with today's guest. Her name is Pam Dupuy. Um, and the, in- this interview you're going to hear was done a number of years ago when Pam was in a hospice. She was dying of uh, lung cancer. Uh, Mark Olson, my friend here in Winnipeg, had gotten to know her after me and set up the interview. I think this is the only interview Pam ever did that I know of. Mark has asked me to get the interview ready a number of years ago. I finally got it ready, and we are going to play it. Give me a background on the story. It was 2012. I had this experience where I suddenly got the impression that the core to the UFO story had to do with consciousness. Uh, I was giving my first um, consciousness lecture uh, in Phoenix, Arizona at the um, World UFO Congress, and Stacy Wright asked me to speak to the MUFON group, which is a pretty big group in Phoenix. So I spoke to the MUFON group and before the, the Congress started, and at the end, Pam... Or, um, Stacy asked me, she said, are you still going to talk to Pam? And I said, oh, I, I guess, yeah, I guess so. I thought, well, I must have agreed to talk to this woman. I didn't know who she was talking about. She said, that's good. Uh, she's coming to my house on Monday, and uh, I'll be at work, and you can talk to her. So on the Monday, um, I was at the house, and um, Pam came to the house uh, with her partner, uh, she had a pot of coffee and he had a uh, pumpkin pie, I remember. I went to the door and Pam said to me, she's in her 70s, at least in her 70s at that time, and said, what did Stacy tell you about me? I said, I don't know, I'm just supposed to talk to you. She said, that's good. She comes walking in. And this is uh, when I, uh, this is the, the, the moment when I moved from the nuts and bolts church and sort of get excommunicated and sort of outed as being sort of nutty. Pam sits down at the table and um, she's telling me about her various experiences during her life, remote viewing for the government, um, you know, the military background, all this kind of stuff. And I've heard these stories before, so I listened to her. And then at one point during the interview, uh, Pam says to me, oh yeah, and last night I was flying the craft. 
And I was, I, I'm, a, I'm surprised I didn't fall off my chair. I said, you were what? He said, yeah, I was flying the craft. And I said, they, I'm looking at the 70 year old lady. I'm going, they let you fly the flying saucer. Oh yeah. She says, I've flown three different models. And I said, they let you fly the flying saucer. Are you kidding me? And she said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, I've, I've flown them lots of times. And so what are you going to say? So I said to her, I said, so how do you fly a flying saucer? And she said, oh, you do it with your mind. And it was at that point when I made the shift, when I realized what the importance of consciousness was, that it verified the fact that consciousness is a key element to this. Now, I have a number of interviews that I'm going to do. I've um, Since I met Pam, she was the first one that gave me this uh, crazy idea that you use your mind to fly the craft and you become one with the craft and the craft is alive and they grow the craft and all this kind of stuff. I now have at least 50 people who have told the same story since Pam told me this story. It is true. And it's like they read off a cue card. They all say the same thing. They all have a sensation that it's a dream. Uh, but they're all telling the same story. They're talking about this oneness and the touching the panel and touching the ball and becoming one with the craft and all this kind of stuff. And, and you're using your mind and whatever you think is what the craft does. So here's the interview. The only interview she did, it was set up a couple of years ago by Mark. And in the interview, you will hear her start talking about this. She'll talk about her military background, uh, her family's military background. You'll hear this from a lot of experiencers, that this may have something to do with it. She's adopted, so is her brother. You'll often hear that um, adopted people are part of whatever is going on here. Um, you will hear her tell the story that a number of experiences have told me about being trained as young children. And I'm now playing a lot of um, audios and uh, from and videos on my YouTube White House UFO channel, uh, where I have these kids who are doing the blindfold, um, where they can see with blindfolds. Uh, this idea of tra training children um, to see without their eyes, to be telepathic, to levitate, to be psychic. Uh, this is what Pam talks about, and she talks about it at, um, at great length talks about levitating these balls and being trained and taken on the ship and this sort of stuff. There are a bunch of people that are telling these, these same sort of stories where they look and they can't see who's doing it. They, can, they, can, they can't really look up. They're all in a circle on board the ship. Uh, you will hear her again talk, start talking about the craft, and she talks about uh, crafts that um, function as one. You'll hear this oneness term that I use all the time. Uh, she'll talk about crafts that are three times the size of the solar system, which you can hear this. Uh, people will describe the fact that the craft on may be like a, like an orb and on the inside is the size of a city. This idea that they can make the craft whatever size they want to, to have it. And finally, there's a bunch of stuff. This is a 35 minute interview. It's just riveting. She just talks. Uh, and you'll hear her talk about the crystal city, which a number of people have described. Mark Olson asked her, what was the most amazing thing you saw in all your travels through the universe? And she starts to talk about this crystal city that other people have described. So I'll leave it at that. Um, enjoy this. This is um, this is a one-of-a-kind interview. Um, this has led me down a completely different road. And if it weren't for, for Stacy introducing me to Pam and Mark uh, getting this interview and having talked to Pam, I never would have uh, figured it out. But uh, this is extremely important what Pam is about to say here. So here's an interview she did for the Winnipeg UFO group. It was done by Skype a number of years ago. Uh, Pam has since passed on, and I, I want to thank her for the guidance that she got us all going on the right road. So enjoy the interview, and thank you. 
you so much. I don't see you on my Skype here, though. Oh, hi. Hi, Mark. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? You're looking good. You're looking good. Well, the very first memory I have of life, I was in a big open field with grass above my head, squatting down, hugging my knees. I was about two years and three months old. And I knew that my friends got me in trouble because they put me in the wrong place. So <laughs> the next thing I knew was a bunch of boots in a circle all the way around me. I was on a military uh, compound, military housing, and the boots were soldiers' boots. They had sent out a search party because I disappeared. So I showed up smack in the middle of the field. So that was my very first memory. <laughs> Yes, my uh, father was um, in Civil Air Force, and my stepfather was a pilot, World War II. Probably a, between two and three years old, because I was brought up to a, a place, a ship, and there were a lot of other children, 10, 12 children, and we sat in a circle, and they would put a ball in the middle of the circle, and we had to move the ball to the different children without touching it. We had to do it with our minds. But that didn't seem unusual because that's what we did. So I was surprised later to find out that every kid didn't have that experience and couldn't do that. So it just started then to train us and train our minds and progress as time went on. I'm sorry. Yeah, my brother uh, was adopted along with me. Uh, I was two years and ten months old which is why I could put the timing of this. And my brother was uh, about, he was a year and 10 months younger than I was. So he was an infant. But he came and was adopted about six months after I was adopted. So from that point on, we both had the same experiences, but we were never placed together on a ship at the same time, in the same ships. But when we came back, we would play games like mind games, uh, one would think of something and the other one had to re read what it was, and we'd trade off and take turns. That's That was just like continuation of the training. So it was always a game. It was always fun, and uh, there was never anything frightening. People were more scary to me and to John than, <laughs> than aliens were. <laughs> well, from... Childhood. During childhood, there was a lot of very painful surgeries and um, things were done that hurt a great deal. But it was a positive thing. Now, when I was going to be adopted, the doctors checked me out and told my parents, don't adopt her. She's going to be dead before she's four. I had kidney failure. And at that time, kidney failure was pretty much a death sentence. So obviously, they did something 
the kidneys. Uh, don't know what they did, but they did something because I turned out fine and never had any problems. So there were all kinds of things that were going on and the training and the teaching. Exactly. All kinds of help, physical help, mental help, everything. Then when I reached my early teens, uh, it began to change a bit. Uh, I, I guess kids become rebellious anyway, but I didn't like the idea of I had no choice. I got stubborn. Um, I had a few lessons <laughs> that were a little painful. and uh, <laughs> But um, it got older and then was introduced to the ships in my teens. Uh, first, the very crude ones. The head pieces were large, cumbersome metal things that fit over. And a couple of years later, they were small, almost not noticeable on your head. And a few years after that, there was nothing. It was to connect directly with the ship. So that worked out well, and I was sent on all kinds of missions and things to do. So was my brother. Um, then in my early 30s, finally got to actually be part of the growing and building process of a ship. So it was identified almost like in printing, in a way. I imprinted it, it imprinted on me, so it became very unified. Um, and also, at that time, the vision, space is like being underwater. It's really that dense. It, it's not empty at all. But you need a different set of eyes, is the nearest way I can explain it. And that came through your ship, your eyes altered. So you can see, it's like brilliant colors and lines and energies and all sorts of things. So that was pretty much the development. And I had four ships that I used. One, of course, was always a favorite. And there was a fifth one that was just coming up. And I honestly don't know how that one turned out. It wasn't developed yet. It wasn't built, you know, built or grown. It's both. So that's how I got around. That's what I did. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's a very difficult thing to describe because there's no word that we have for that experience. It's just, so the nearest thing I could say is we are functioning as one. Um, it senses and knows, and I sense and know what, it, what it's experiencing, what it's thinking, what's going to be happening. Some areas... Chip takes over more of the brain work, and in other areas, I do. So there's a trust relationship there. Give up some, it gives up some, and but the unified two is is greater than two separate. Um, one is to patrol areas, and in patrolling areas of space, it you could take in a whole section of space that has many, many different solar systems within it. And you, you watch the boundaries the, uh, and natural disasters that may happen. You become instantly a rescue ship. Uh, and also you can send out alerts and warnings and other others to help. But the ships that do strictly perimeters appear as a very small ship. 
that's all that's visible. However, if for some reason more is needed, the rest of the ship is in a different space, but it's connected. Very difficult to explain this. You can't see it. If it's needed, it can come into this space, but it, they don't drag the whole huge ship through this space. It goes along into the space. It's, it, yes, it's, it's as though it, 90% of it is not in this space. 90% of it is in the other space. And there's a, a barrier there, but that barrier is easily opened if needed. Or like, like a sliding door, they would open two ways. That's kind of the sense you get, and then the rest comes in. And it's, they're huge, though. Yes, yes. The largest craft, which is just known as the ship, is probably the size of three times our solar system. And it's divided into, into areas. And each area has different uh, life forms. And, but they're all within this giant ship. And they're protected. They're, that's a, I, I don't know if that is supposed to be a ship that just is like a orc kind of an idea where they want to preserve these species. I don't know if it's, uh, this was a disaster and, and so they, this was a refuge until someplace else can be found. I don't know exactly what that, what that is, but I've been on that ship a couple of times and I've gone through a couple of the different, uh, habitats. So, uh, it, it, okay, I'll try to. The, the approach I always take is over a bridge, and the bridge is all crystal. Once you cross that bridge and get into the rest of the city, there is no up or down necessarily. You can be upside down walking on a crystal pathway, but right above you, people's feet are where your feet are. So <laughs> I know, and it's very disorienting at first, but after you're there a while, it seems natural. Bye, sweetie. My daughter's going to the store. So it's a, a very natural thing. It's, it is not heavily populated, but the beings that are the native population in that city uh, welcome people. And they have the capability of healing. They, um, they're very generous, quiet, uh, peaceful beings. And it's the buildings, since they are crystal, you, you can see through partly, but as you get more walls, it becomes more dense, and so you can only see so far. It's, um, well, the new beings are thin and tall, um, and I really can't see their face. There's always something. They do show their face. I just can't grasp it. Um, but there's many, many beings there. So the city can seem pretty populated, but those are not the natives of the city. They're the ones that open it up and welcome you and allow you in or don't allow you. So uh, that, in fact, you should ask uh, Stacy about the Crystal City. I took a few people on a trip there uh, with permission. I had to get their permission first. And uh, they said, yes, I could bring them. So we did. We 
one evening met at Stacy's house, and I believe there were seven of us, and uh, we went to the Crystal City. Actually, in that case, I was I made the request to the citizens of the Crystal City, the natives, said, would it be okay? Because I came, the many times I came, I knew that permission had been given for me to come. It wasn't just, oh, I think I'll drop by. There was permission given. So I would extend the same courtesy and the same request, and they could say no, but they said yes. It took a couple of months for me to get the message back. They were always asking, can we go now? Can we go now? <laughs> so, so it took a couple of months, and it was yes. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. I can only say I only know uh, about 52. My guess is there are more, but that's all I know of. And my personal experience over the years on a regular basis, weekly basis, daily basis, has been mainly about five. The others I have seen and, and have crisscrossed with, but no real interaction. Just a nod. <laughs> you know, a larger picture, I think a more encompassing picture of, of life, of intelligence. Uh, probably a, a lot more forgiving because difference between human beings can be as, as different as between some of the alien species, actually. When you stop and think about it, the very peaceful people, the ones that will die for the, you know, the jihadists, there's probably more extremes here, really, than, than there is generally across other species. So, it, it just, you make, I don't know, it makes it easier. I think I look more kindly on human beings in general, just because, you know, it's, you can only do so much. And you can't do more. And sometimes people want something more, but they really aren't ready. And it can be, they can become angry. But the problem with giving something to someone before they're ready, they haven't made the mistakes that lead to their discovery of this. And that, in the end, can be disastrous. So you know, it's not out of cruelty or snobbery or anything else that oftentimes you know, people say, well, why don't they show themselves or why don't they, not everyone is right ready. Well, they could be more hurtful. Exactly. And oftentimes you may be ready and you're unaware you're ready. You don't even think about it, but you find that you're not shocked by it. You're surprised, excited, but you're not scared. Um, and then there are people that want to, want to see, want to talk to and want to contact. And get one chance to, and the instant reaction is fear or attack or just so they weren't ready. So, yeah, it really is um, a discovery. As soon as an openness is there and, and non-judgmental, that's, that's a difficult thing. It's real easy to love large-eyed, soft, furry things, and maybe not so easy to love something that looks like a eight or nine foot praying mantis. However, <laughs> it should be the same. <laughs> the love should be the same. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the praying mantis happened to be the nursemaid for the very young children in the ship that I kept going to. And the, the small grays 
and these little blue, dark, navy blue guys in shawls. Um, and the grays did the heft onward, but always in the shadow and peeking around a column or just staying back was the praying mantis. And she was, obviously, she had the run of the ship. She was in charge. She was the boss. She was the intelligence. But she was also the great love protector. So that was that was my first, yeah, <laughs> that all life is equal. Yes. All life comes from one. God? Yes. That's the source. Yep. And they all know that. Hmm? That's a that's a tricky. It is so broad. There, okay, let's go to the easy to describe ones. Uh, the praying mantis, large mantis, intelligent, loving, very much in charge. Um, the grays, and there are three levels of grays. There's a very short gray, which is quick, scoots around a lot. There's a little taller gray that's closer to four or five feet, uh, and then there's the tall grays. And they are more of the scientists. They um, just are more intelligent and more in charge and more like the scientists. Um, and they're all very, they're very detached. The tall ones and the short ones are very detached. The medium, intermediate ones, so are often used alongside uh, one of the beds that you're being uh, surgically altered on. And they'll be there and they'll be giving you a, it's okay. You're fine. You're not going to die. You can handle this. And so they're often used that way. Then there's the reptilians. And reptilians, yeah, there's more than one species or subspecies of reptilians. So um, one which I'm most familiar with and has been around for a long time are very, uh, oh boy, they're sensuous, very sexual, very sensuous. Um, they're very open. They have families that also accept you in, actually, which is bizarre, but they do. Uh, then there's a there's this reptilians that are I, I don't want to say negative, but let's say they they are far more aggressive and. Work has been done on, on them as far as genetics to try and get rid of this aggressive part of them. But they couldn't do it. If they got rid of enough of that, it altered them so much they weren't themselves anymore. So uh, you'll see them, but usually they're never alone. They're always with other species and other reptilians. There'll be one or two on board a ship. Uh, they're intelligent, super intelligent. It's just like that's a flaw or something in the makeup. In the genetic body. So then there's other reptilians that are um, shy, very reclusive, uh, very intelligent. Um, and I don't know a lot about them because they are reclusive. I just know they're included in the group, in the family. And then there's very small beings that look almost like, um, almost like a midget. But their features are slightly distorted, but they're more human-looking. And they're usually wearing a, a cowl, a shawl, like a monk's robe with a hood. Uh, and they are, I keep saying blue. 
I honestly don't know if their skin is blue or not, but blue is what strikes me. Um, and they've been around since childhood. They were the first ones that came and, and took me to the ships. It wasn't until later that Grays came. It was always the little blue guys. So, let's see. And, and then there are those that appear humanoid, but they are ethereal. They, you, they never quite... You, to see them, you leave your body. So, like, sometimes when you're, when you're called, you're supposed to go do something. Sometimes aliens will want you with your body, so you, like, interact with the ship. Sometimes they don't want your body. They just want you. So you leave. Uh, and those, when you're out of your body, those beings are, everybody is real, intelligent, powerful. Uh, they just don't have a corporal body. So, and I think that as a species, um, we're not quite up to being nose-to-nose with them and everything, their knowledge and their their uh, spirituality and their capabilities. Uh, but they do interact, and I have had contact with them, and they come on board ship. Uh, so, let's see, another... Ah. Uh, well, that's about all I can think of just right off the top of my head. I would say yes because of the length of time that they've had to reach the point that they are. The capabilities of human beings is the same, just don't have, haven't learned yet, haven't learned how to tap it, and haven't learned how to open up yet, don't have the years decades and millenniums of experience. A couple thousand years from now, we'll be a lot closer. Uh, but they'll always have that head start. <laughs> there, There is a variety of that, actually. And humor is something that's difficult. It seems to be pretty much a human state for the most part. Um, but I've been, I am innately funny. I want to make people laugh. I just start out being a character. And I've they listen and they try and get it, and and they have. Uh, however, it's very juvenile. Uh, their their sense of humor it, it is juvenile. Uh, kindergarten, first grade, you know, you they may decide. Oh well, um, uh, one day I was doing dishes, and I thought I felt something. I turned around. Here's a gray standing right behind me in the kitchen, and I I said, Oh hi. Turned back around and I went. Wait, what the heck? Turn back, gone. And that was supposed to be a funny. Yeah, that was, oh, I gotcha. <laughs> and uh, your your belongings may disappear, socks, underwear, and then be gone for maybe a week or two or a few days and show up smack in the middle of your living room table. It's a ho-ho. It's funny. Well, first off, don't, don't need to be afraid of anything. Uh, let's face it, if any... Any species out there want to do anything, they could have done it a long time ago and probably would have. Um, I would say just relax and let it be. Just let it go. They're not going to hurt you. That's not the point. So either they're going to gift you something, teach you something, and they will go depending upon how, how you respond, how aware you are. And at some point, if you just freeze up and you don't like it or it's frightening, it's not necessarily it'll stop, but you won't remember it. So it, the more you want to remember, 
the better, I think. Uh, it's nice to know you're not alone. It's nice to know that someone is taking an interest in you and they are not going to harm you. So the worst it could be is neutral and a great experience. The best it could be is you may gain some things you don't even know. You may have physical problems that you're not aware of that will be repaired or be fixed. Uh, you may gain capabilities you didn't know you had or you didn't have before, or they just weren't activated. It could be anything from music to um, being able to uh, leave your body and go somewhere and come back. Uh, you don't know. So as long as you're open and relaxed and welcoming, I think you'll you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You can't do anything about it anyway, so enjoy it. Yes, I'm aware that there is one, and it's a group of all of the species, representing all the species. Um, I was, I was utilized that group uh, only for one thing, which I did for a couple of years, and that was I was an ambassador of sorts, as near as I can explain it. Um, information was put in my head, given to me, and then I was sent to another species to give that information, to relay that to them. And the reason that I was used for this, because I started so young being used to seeing so many species that I hadn't any, no repulsion or no fear or anything, no matter what they look like, I understood, you know, they're, they're intelligent beings, and they have to look that way. We have to look this way. And um, and the other one, with all of the training that they had done early, uh, I they could dump information in me. And, it, and it's really not an information dump. It's a transference. It's everything that they think about, feel, experienced around any particular item, fact, completely goes into me, and that is then what I transfer in its totality to whatever group or whatever species they send me to, and I don't even know what it is until I get there, and it comes out, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm surprised myself sometimes, but uh, yeah, um, so that's, I guess, because I'm not uncomfortable around any species, that was why, why they chose me as one, and there are others. But that's the only connection I've ever had with them. And it uh, wasn't exactly a one-on-one, you know, <laughs> more like I'm the carrier pigeon. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is an interesting question. That's like saying, how long are you somewhere? Uh, that's a question you can't really answer because it's never in the same place. It's never in the same place in relation to where you are, and you're never in the same place in relation to it. Uh, all I know, so that makes no difference. And us, and, and your travel, you get there almost instantly because you feel, you sense where they are, and they sense you, and it's like a invisible rubber band. Uh, as soon as you hook on, it's just boom, matter of seconds, there you are. It's... 
So where it is, is immaterial. It could be anywhere. So that's never a real big question. That's only humans have that. <laughs> I'm, see, I'm in a different situation. Uh, I think the idea of asking a question, no. Since this has been from infancy, I mean, from the beginning of where my conscious mind was working, there was always information being put in. There was teaching, there was training, there was this transference of, and it's not hard information. It is oh, all-encompassing. Uh, oh, boy, it's hard to describe this. If, uh, uh, say, okay, if a car, say someone said, can you, I want to know how to, to drive an automobile. Would you teach me? Okay, you could give them a manual. You could read them the manual. But the way it would really work is every driving experience from that steering wheel being too hot to all of the trips you've ever taken to everything you've felt about every vehicle you've ever had to all of the experiences within that vehicle would all be transferred immediately to you. So it says, oh, you have lived that. That's how it is. It's not hard info data transferred. For me, it's kind of transference of everything, everything connected with whatever it is that they wanted me to know or I needed to know. Uh, and since that's always been going on, I've never had a need to question. I, I just haven't found any holes to yeah, enough already, right? <laughs> okay, I may cough a bit. My meds make me cough sometimes. So, yeah, go ahead. I don't think I can answer that since I honestly did not initiate. It was initiated. I, I honestly can't answer that. I'm sorry. Well, I think I'd have to answer it the way you'd a answer somebody who says, there's a mountain, why do you climb it? Yeah, uh, because it's there for some. There might be something important there. There might be gold in there. There might be a cave that holds ancient manuscripts. There might be, so it is for them. Everyone has a reason. And no two are necessarily the same. Some is curiosity. How is the species going along? Uh, it's, it's everything. So it depends on the species. There's no real one answer. I wish it were. Yes. Yeah, yeah, both ways. And yes, my parents were aware something was going on, and I think that they knew very well what was going on. Now, you understand, these are my adoptive parents, not my biological parents. My, my actual biological father died before I was born, I think. So uh, these were my, uh, they were given to, I was given to them, along with my brother, to the courts. So we were never legally adopted because they were too old to meet the requirements. But they were so good, such good people. Uh, Dad was held three, three degrees from the University of Chicago, um, mathematics, medicine, and music. So he was a doctor, and he had degrees in all of those things. Uh, and Mom also, very intelligent, had her own business. But they were in their 50s when they got us. Now... I, I know Dad knew for sure because he would ask me, did you have any dreams last night? Did you have any dreams? Well, I, 
I was told I couldn't answer him. I couldn't tell him. I, I could not tell him the truth, and neither could my brother. So they knew because we would have marks on us when we got back, even as little kids, and there would be things like sand and greens in the bed that no way. <laughs> and pajamas would be put on backwards, up the wrong side out, and mom was fastidious about all that sort of thing. Everything was perfect when you went to bed. So so they knew. They knew what was going on, but we couldn't tell them. So they were chosen somehow. They were chosen. Yeah, they were picked out, and we ended up with them, which never, ever should have been. And it was. It was wonderful. They were great. Oh, let's see. My last experience. Oh, I have to think about that. Um, it gets convoluted in time when someone says your last one. <laughs> you, know, you know how that goes. Uh, it was... Oh, one of the last ones was, I'd say, about... Three months ago, and uh, and it's, it, it started out when I looked out the window here. There was a red orb uh, floating right across the street, and it's pitch black outside. And I thought, oh no, really? So I went to bed knowing that you know, oh knock knock. <laughs> no, no, it's just okay. All right, I'll go to bed. <laughs> I have three. Yes, they do. And and it's interesting because they are in denial as well as, as acceptance. Uh, it's, Mom, I need to know about so-and-so. Or, I've lost something. Where did it go? Uh, can you use your powers? Come on. But then they'll come back and say, you know... I had a test on that darn station, and it made me so mad because I passed the whole thing, and then they wouldn't let me through the last door. And then a week later, it'll be, nope, 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 no, 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 it's okay. Yes, yeah, right. It is, uh, it is. It takes some people longer, uh, and some people aren't. Uh, so, there, it takes, it's taking them a little longer, but they're, but they're getting more and more um, skills and capabilities and so you know as that comes and as they realize oh boy now I'm going to have to be responsible for this uh, how now because it's, it's got a silent acceptance now <laughs> okay it's here don't talk about it now <laughs> well thank you so much and I'm so glad that you're one of the family Okay. Oh, hi, bye. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you again. We'll do this again. Well, bye. Very good. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. 
if you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.